Radio Theater Project. Radio Theater Project. A radio drama series featuring comedy, science fiction, and mystery. 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 Old stories and new. Radio Theater Project. Theater of the mind for today. Excuse me, sir. Sorry to interrupt. Of course. Who is at the door, Chester? Mr. North's fiance, Elsie Fancourt. Yes, we should probably pick up the rest of my tale tomorrow night, North. It's late. Best take your lady home. Mr. Head, please let me apologize on a thing. Your storytelling has pulled me right into your adventures, and I forget that these awful things are true ordeals, not fiction. I do not mean to praise Madame Colucci's actions, as shown in your account, sir. Bear it no further thought, Mr. North. So is your work here done? No, I have to be here tomorrow night. Must it be so, my love? Were we not going to have dinner, since we could not this evening? I have to work at Mr. Dufrayer's office during the day. There's only the evening. (sighs) However, it is a nice night for a stroll. Would you care to walk the long way home, arm in arm? That would be quite acceptable, Mr. North. Splendid, Miss Fancourt. Let's take one more street, and then I'll hail you a hansom. What street? Kynan's Moose with its spring wisteria and autumn leaves. St. Luke's with its pretty pink houses and pure white doors. Elm Street with its giant trees and an arch over the street. Ah, Walbeck Street. Walbeck Street? Apart from big houses, it's quite dull. What's so special down there? Number 100. Well... This is quite the biggest house and the darkest one. Who lives here? A resident straight out of Mr. Head's story. That is the mansion of Madame Colucci. Oh, really? What? I just expected her home to be more vibrant and full of life. She is a very private person. Happiest in the background instead of blowing her own horn. I think it's admirable that a person of her esteem and fame presents a low profile. You don't have to defend her to me. Crime Thriller presents The Brotherhood of the Seven Kings. These are the chronicles of Norman Head, who is fighting the Brotherhood's worldwide conspiracy of evil. The time has now come for him to tell of his adventurous tales. This time he tells the story of The Contested Will and Cecil Doncaster Part 3, based on the stories by Robert Eustace and L.T. Meade, written for radio by Glenn Hibbert. I suspect this will be our last night, Mr. North. That is a shame. I've enjoyed this very much. All good things come to an end. (laughs) Not that the content is good, right? Yes, North. I'm glad you see it that way. Let's get on. 12th August, 1894. Finally, after what seemed like weeks, I arrived in Naples three days later. After leaving Brindisi by train, I employed a hansom and began my search. I spent the rest of the afternoon and evening visiting hotel after hotel. Signore, it is nearly 11 p.m. and I would like to get back to my casa. I have paid for services until midnight. We have an agreement. See, Signore, we did. But I did not think it would actually take this long. I too had hoped it would not. There are only a few hotels left to check. 
What's this one? Albergo Lombres. Well, may it be the last. Hmm. Terribly sorry for the late entrance, concierge. I sincerely hope you can help me. I was supposed to meet with two other travelers at the Napoli Central Railway Station, but miscommunication has led me astray. I'm looking for the hotel that one Dr. Fietta and another, a boy of 12 years, had booked. Ah, yes, sir. The pair arrived early in the afternoon. I believe the boy sleeps and Dr. Fietta is out. Very good. Do you know, perchance, when he'll return? No, but as our doors lock on 11.30, he'll need to be back before then. Excellent. I'll take a room next to theirs, if there are any free. I can give you 49 next door. 49 will be fine. Do keep the change. Tell the luggage boys to collect my bags from the carriage outside and release the driver. I am quite exhausted, so if you'll excuse me, I shall attend my room forthwith. I unlocked my door and left it ajar for the luggage boys, then went straight to room 47. Using my skills, I picked the lock and entered. Striking a match, I looked about. With a great sigh of relief, I stepped further into the dark room. Finally, finally, the Lord was in my sights. Cecil? Cecil! Uh, uh. Come on, Cecil. Come awake. No, no, doctor, please. He, I am not. Mr. Head? Am I dreaming? No, no, dear boy, you certainly are not. I'm so relieved. Dr. Fieta told me they had offended you when I got angry with you for calling me Lord. I just got so tired of that title. No, no, no. Shh, he lied. I very nearly cried when I missed you that morning on Malta. Please take me home. I have come for that very purpose. You were quite disturbed in your sleep, Lord. I, I've been having terrifying dreams at night. I'm... stooped out. I want to whisper something. Do not worry, Cecil. Dr. Fietta is not in the room. Stoop down, please. Oh, okay. All right. I'm dreadfully afraid of Dr. Fietta. What is your reason? Tell me. Once I woke up in the middle of the night and, and he was bending over me. He had such a queer look on his face and, and he used that syringe again. I protested that I wasn't on the boat anymore. He explained that sometimes seasickness follows people off the sea for a few days. It was hard to disagree, as I really do feel awfully unwell. Still. But I didn't want it because I thought that you would rather he didn't. I'm afraid of him. Try to calm yourself, Lord. I'm afraid of him. Shh. I will make sure everything will be all right. I give you my word. I... Yes. I believe you. Good. Good. We shall make our departure on the morrow. Before you go, Mr. Head, since I'm here, it would be such a pity not to see Mount Vesuvius. Could you take me with you tomorrow morning? Then home in the afternoon? Will you explain it all to Dr. Fietta? 
I will explain everything to Dr. Fietta. Extremely clearly. The boy flung himself back onto his pillow. Great relief came over his features. I left the room, and just before shutting the door, heard him say, I love you, Mr. Head. To say that my blood boiled can express only slightly the emotions that coursed through my frame. The child was in the hands of a monster. There was nothing for it now but to face Fietta, tell him that I have discovered his machinations, claim the boy, and take him by force. I went downstairs and put on a happy face for the concierge. Is it to your liking, sir? Yes, thank you. The room is very fine. Has the good doctor returned? Yes, sir. He is in his private sitting room, number six. Now there's another one of your unexpected surprises, Mr. Head. You have not then gone to Cairo. You change your plans rapidly. Not more so than you, Dr. Fietta. Did you not hear the announcement on board the ship? Oh, no. That's right. You were off the boat extremely early that day. What announcement? Cholera has broken out in Cairo. I could not, therefore, take my patient there. Forgive me. But your actions force me to suspect you are following me. May I inquire why I have the honor of your undying attention? Have you a reason? This is my reason. Should I recognize this? Morphia. The substance in this little hypodermic syringe is very far away from morphia. Isn't it, Dr. Fietta? Okay, Mr. Head. That got you off your chair. And circling around me won't intimidate me, Fietta. Let's have a little chat. Now. What are you doing? Just locking the door. I would not want our discussion disrupted. I am disappointed, Mr. Head. I was quite certain that a man of your intellect was aware of the fate that claimed the curious cat. So what now, then? Is this the part where you pull out your long, sharp stiletto? It would seem so, Mr. Head. Do not be so hasty to use it. I have a couple of words to say to you. La Regina. Is that supposed to mean something to me? I'll wager that it means a great deal, as it does to me. I am a fellow brother of the Seven Kings. Put down that knife and let us shake hands. I shall place my knife into my left hand, and you, Mr. Head, had better get it right. Get what right, Mr. Head? I grasped his hand in the peculiar manner that I'd never forgotten and prayed it had not changed. The handshake felt like it stretched on for hours. The doctor was scrutinizing the form of my hand tightly in his. Finally, his face relaxed and he recited the second half of the pass. E la regina. Well, yet more surprises, Mr. Head, but... This is too wondrous, 
Tell me, my friend, what is your mission? I was certain that it was you who had stolen my syringe, but why did you do it? And why only now do you reveal your true identity? You are, of course, under our queen's orders. Let us just say you are being vetted. Vetted? I knew my turn was coming up, but I did not expect it so soon. So do I pass? It is looking favorable. Does the queen have any further orders? Indeed she does. You are to pass the boy over to me. I am to take the Lord Cairn back overland to England on the morrow. Very well. Everything is complete. He will die from Mediterranean fever in one month. Then you have administered more of the microorganisms since Malta. Yes. I had another syringe in my case. Now nothing can save him. The fever will commence in six days from midnight tonight. Excellent. La Regina will be pleased. I still wonder at your presence, brother. Why have I not had any communication about you? I cannot understand it. What is not to understand? If our queen told you that you were being vetted, would you not perform at your very best? No, our queen evaluates us unaware. If, however, this does not satisfy, I will fight you to keep my orders, brother. It is not beneath La Regina to assign someone to vet a fellow brother vetting a fellow brother. <laughs> All right. I will concede the boy to you in the morning. In any case, it is quite safe. The deed is done. The boy will die, and that was my order. Have you yet seen the little lord? Yes, and I've told him to be prepared to accompany me to England. Very well. Thank you, Mr. Head. Your shadow has been haunting me for the past three days. Good night. I shall sleep in peace. I'll be up soon. As you wish. Climb into this bed, young lord, and sleep well. I fear, though, that I will not sleep in complete ease until I am home. I will guard over you the rest of the night, if necessary, young lord. Young lord? <laughs> you look completely at ease to me. Do not fear. If Fietta has a change of heart, I'll... Fietta, I warned you. I'll fight for whatever... A bellboy was at the door. He held a salver in his hand. It contained a letter, a sheet of paper, and an envelope stamped with the name of the hotel. I opened it and read the following words from Dr. Fietta. You have removed the boy, deepening my mistrust. If you are a bona fide member of the Brotherhood of the Seven Kings, you will return the boy to his own sleeping room immediately. I took a pencil out of my pocket and hastily wrote a few words. You have failed. Before the week is out, a medical man will put a stop to the Queen's diabolical plan. I slipped the note into the envelope and wet the gum strip with my tongue, fastened it together and passed it back to the bellboy. I stepped back into my room and padlocked the door. Going to the boy's bedside, I swore to him that I would stand vigilant, that I would not sleep, that I would not even close my eyes. I closed my eyes. Oh, oh, my head feels like it's in a vice. Why am I on my bed? Wait, 
Is that sunshine? Cecil, are you... Damnation! His bed is empty. Does Fieta have him again? But how? What's this on my pillow? Another note? Balcony to balcony was all I needed. Of course. They are all but a foot apart. An easy spring would land him onto my balcony. Then he used his lock-picking skills to open the French doors. But why had I slept? And there was more to the note. And next time, brother, wet your finger and use that to seal the envelope. The gum strip was drugged. What a fool am I. And in my last note, I betrayed my cover. Concierge, beautiful morning, is it not? It is, sir. A good day for an outing. Did the good doctor and the boy say where they were going? We had plans to spend the day together, and I... (laughs) I must confess, I slept in. Indeed. The boy let slip that they were going to Vesuvius. Ah, yes, that was on the list. Thank you. Uh, er, uh, how does one get to Vesuvius? Two-horse carriage. Best way. You there. I would like to begin for Vesuvius and as fast as the horses can run. Well now, I would, sir, but the horses have not quite had their fill of oats and water. I'm in rather a hurry. Can you make an exception? Well now, I might, but that would cost you an extra... A roll of money like this? Hmm. No argument here. Yeah. I worried as we galloped along. Should I be in time to prevent the catastrophe I had dreaded? One slip, one push, and Cecil would never be seen again. Driver, why are we slowing down? Because we are here. You need to take the funicular wire-laid railway the rest of the way up to the cone, if you're wanting to see the crater. If the operator refuses to take a single passenger, tell him you know Pablo and give him a hundred francs. Much obliged. Yes, a foreigner of that description and a boy has just gone up, sir. But we don't Here, take... Pablo said you'd like this hundred francs. Get in. Get in. I'll crank her up. I got out of the swaying carriage and made to push past a guard. Halt! You must not go up alone. Then come with me, unless you'd like the death of a twelve-year-old lord on your hands. He's up there right now with a madman. I knew I did not like the look of him. Are you then Mr. Head? How'd you know? The boy was upset that a Mr. Head was not with him. Cecil. Yes, that was the name the foreigner used. There is no time to lose. I must get on their trail. Some rocks sit firm in the ground, sir, but a greater percentage of the slope slips and slides erratically. Also, you'll find today that further up the peak there is a strong gale. Are you familiar enough with the terrain to know where to step? You'll be of no use dead. All right, you've made your point. Lead on. I can barely see. So much for the view. Not that I have time to admire the Bay of Naples. The wind is taking huge volumes of the smoke and blowing it over us. Take care. Step where I step. There, I see vague impressions of two figures ahead. That's them. Fiera! No, Mr. Head, come back! Fiera! You! No, no you don't. 
What in heaven's sake is all this? Goodbye, little lord! Not on my watch! While the doctor and I wrestled, the guide carefully rushed past us and successfully grabbed one of Cecil's flailing arms and brought him to safety. Mr. Head! I will kill you! My back faced the bleaching maw of Vesuvius. The evil doctor began down the ridge slope with his hands still around my throat. The heel of my shoe came in contact with a solid, unshifting rock. Now I toppled over. Fieta released my throat, but I grabbed him by the arms, forcing him over me. My back found the ground. I planted my foot into Fieta's belly, levered my legs skyward, and flew my assailant's body over my head. I truly had hoped we were not that close to the edge. His scream still echoes in my ear. He fell headlong through the racking smoke and steam into the fathomless, seething cauldron below. Mr. Head, I'm sorry. I cannot imagine how that affected you. That evening, I sailed from Malta with Lord Cecil. Dr. Benson, as he promised, administered the antitoxin, and the child's life was saved. Within a fortnight, I brought him back to his mother. Were you ever prosecuted? Both the garden guide fabricated a story for the reporters about the events that took place atop Mount Vesuvius. The press reported that one Dr. Isvan Fieta had gone mad at the edge of the crater, and in an excess of maniacal fury had first tried to destroy the boy before flinging himself in. Till now, I had kept my secret. Colin! Oh, excuse me. I didn't know you had a client. We were just finishing up. How about on this wall, Colin? Mm, choose any wall you want, Loftus. Sorry, Mr. Carr. Are you all right for getting back to your estate? My brother Felix has arranged a handsome for me. I think the light is better on this wall, Colin. Sure you don't mind me putting a tack in? Yes, yes, that's fine. That's a lovely painting. Who, who's the artist? The artist himself is here. I should like to pass on my compliments. That would be me. Thank you. Oh, well, it is very good. Well, I have been Colin's friend for a number of years and have wanted, for some time, to paint a picture for him. I have finally gotten around to it. There, Colin. What do you think? Yes, that's a fine wall for it. Thank you. I'll be off to lunch now, Mr. Defrayer. I'll just collect my jacket. Of course. Take an hour today, North. I shall go as well. I'm off to go horse riding with my wife. The lovely Liz? You're a lucky man, Loftus. May I sit? Yes, you may sit. And before you ask, yes. Yes, I read Mr. North's dictation of your tale, Norman. It is no tale, Colin. Well, if so, please allow me to doubt a bit, because then I can distance myself a little from it and think more clearly about it. As you wish. No doubt all this business in Naples, as you've recounted, will have given this brotherhood a considerable shock. If Madame Colucci is as clever as you suppose her to be, she will remain quiet for the present. That is certainly the case. Then do something to restore your equilibrium, Head. You look overexcited. Take a sea voyage. (laughs) I've done quite enough sea voyage for a little while, thank you. And my overexcitement should go some way to corroborate the memories of my terrible experience. Overexcitement can be the result of any number of things. Do you believe me or not, Colin? I believe you, Mr. Head. Have you got your coat, North? Of course, sir. Then off to lunch with you. Uh, Mr. Head, please think about my request to you last night. I'd dearly love to know. What fun. 
Goodbye, Mr. North. I'm going. I'm going. What request? Forget that and tell me what you're thinking about my predicament. If anyone but yourself had brought me such an incredible story, Norman, I should have thought him mad. However, I have been in the law business long enough to know, and would be a fool to dismiss the notion, that from time to time a great master in crime rises and sets justice at defiance. But that this woman should be a leader of a deliberately organized crusade against the laws of England is almost beyond my belief. However, I shall give you the benefit of the doubt. But what do you wish me to do about it? For fear of pampering your vanity, Colin, I must say you are the keenest and most able of advisors. I humbly ask for your help. Use your ingenuity. Employ your best agents, your most trusted and experienced officers, to watch this woman day and night. Do you actually know what you're asking, Head? The expense alone for such an operation... I'm prepared to devote my life and money to this great cause. I'll cover any expense. And what of your own research expenses? <sighs> Scientific pursuits no longer interest me. My sole objective now is to expose Madame Colucci and place her and her confederates in the felon's dock of an English criminal court. In that case, I will do all I can. I'll endeavor to upturn every stone. But I must warn you, I am still a little skeptical. Well, thank you for indulging me, Colin. Well, you are more than a client, Norman. You are a friend. And for that, I thank you. I shall happily leave you to the rest of your day. Oh, oh, wait, one more thing. Mr. North. Yes? I'm concerned that I have aroused in him an unhealthy fascination for Madame Colucci and the Brotherhood. For goodness sake, man. You are paranoid about everything. But I wish it were just that. His eyes lit up whenever I spoke of the Brotherhood and Madame Colucci. He would often stop me with such praises. Even had the gall to ask if I were prosecuted for the death of that devilish Dr. Fietta. He tried to tell me he did not glorify crime, but, but I, I, I'm sadly just not convinced. His request, he just now asked of, was this. He wants me to teach him the secret handshake. Just keep an eye on him, too. Will you? No, Head. I will not promise you that. Now go and rest. I'll keep you informed of anything that might have to do with Madame Colucci. I'll have to be satisfied with just that. Good! Now on with you, until we meet again. Crime Thriller presented The Brotherhood of the Seven Kings, The Contested Will, and Cecil Doncaster Part 3. Based on the stories by Robert Eustace and L.T. Mead, written for radio by Glenn Hibbard. Starring Steve Chambers as Norman Head. Also in the cast were Mark Ingalls as John North. Roy Nessel as Dr. Fietta. Innocencia Valderrama as Concierge of the Londe. Robin Candelaria as Elsie Fancourt. Robert Cervantes as Colin Dufrere. Other parts played by Bob Helling, Steve Abrahamson, Josh Sullivan... Brian Grote, Joseph McGuire, and Jim Galan. I'm your announcer, Anne Bodle-Nash. Theme music, Dance Macabre by Camille Sanson, performed by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Sound design and dialogue editing, Jay Charles. Recording technician, Roberta Wiley. Produced and directed by Robin Candelaria. Recorded in partnership at KSVR Studios in Mount Vernon, Washington. This is a radio theater project presentation. 